All right, Jeff, we'll say good morning. Let us begin. I uh, want to begin by thanking our sponsors. I thank our Talmud Torah sponsors for the month of Shvat, the Elbaum Mishpacha, for dedicating all of the Shi'urim and Drushos this month in memory of Jerry. Jerry Elbaum, Yaakov, Kapol, Ben Avram, Menachem, Zichron, Levrach. We open that in the merit of our Talmud Torah. The Nisham will have an Aliyah and the family a Nechama. To thank Bracha Strimber for dedicating all the Sherman Drushos this month in loving memory of her husband Avi, Avram Ben Kamen Eliezer Halevi, Zichron Livracha. We thank our Week of Learning sponsors, Motion and Ellen Givant, in the merit of and Ellen's mother, Joyce Rubin Blackman, Nechama Bas Shalom Yitzchak, on the occasion of her third yard site on the 12th of Shvat. We hope that in the merit of our Tamil Torah, the Neshamans will have an Aliyah and the family in Nechama. We also thank our Week of Learning sponsors, the Getz Mishpacha, in memory of Moshe Chaim's father and mother, Alter Hirsch Ben Binyamin, and Chana Chaya Bas Moshe, as well as thanking uh, Mr. Larry Sufnis for dedicating the Week of Learning in memory of his beloved wife, Tanya, Yona Bas Yaakov. We thank our Day of Learning sponsors, Ellie and Joel Rashkovsky for dedicating the sh- learning today for the yard site of Joel's grandmother, Shoshana Bas Shlomo. We hope in, in the merit of our Talmud Torah, all of the Neshamas will have an Aliyah and the families a Nechama. But I also just really want to give a very special thank you to, to Maishi and to Jeremy, who are working so hard on constantly improving our our tech setup. So Hevra on Zoom, you know, you, you, you think the magic happens easily, but, uh, but Baruch Hashem, there's, uh, and not just for the Hevra on Zoom, the truth is for those who are on YouTube and for those who use the podcast and access the YouTube video later on, it's, it's a ridiculous amount of work that goes in to making this uh, a really excellent product. And I really want to thank, uh, Maishi and Jeremy for the, for the days and the nights for putting up with my, uh, ignorant feedback when it comes to technology matters, but yet receiving it and implementing it so graciously. I will say thank you both very much. And I will say really, everyone from the Shir, when you see when you see these two guys, make sure to give them an incredible yeshikoach. From the beginning of the pandemic, mamish from the beginning, when we had to switch to an online platform, they've been working really yomam valayla on this stuff. So I will say thank you both very, very much. All right, so with that, let us begin. So today's daf is Samech Dalet 64. We'll say we really have an incredible, incredible daf today. Really incredible daf. I know I built it up a lot. I hope I could deliver on this. But in Mirza Hashem, we are picking up on Samech Gimel Amadei 63b. We're going to pick up at the Orminhi. So five lines up from the bottom. Orminhi. If one goes ahead, so we'll remember again, that was the topic of the Mishnah. The topic of our Mishnah in yesterday's daf was speaking about the concept of Shechting Karbanas, first within a Karban Pesach, then in Karbanas in general, while one is in possession of Chomets and ramifications of engaging in such behavior. So the Gemara says, Remin here, raise the Kasha. If one goes in and shechts the Karban Pesach while in possession of Chomets, over below Sase, one is in violation of Ilav. Rabbi says, even if you shech the Tomid, not just the Karban Pesach, but even if you shech the Tomid while in possession of Chomets, it's problematic as well. Amr lo, lo amr el ba-pesach bo. They cham sevek tabi huda. No, it's not true. This halacha is only said legabe karman pesach, not legabe other karmanas. Emasai, when is this so? Bizman shiish le shochet or le zorek or le echem mechabura. This is only true, Abba said, if one of the people intimately involved in the carbon was in possession of chametz. So, for example, the person shechting, the person doing the zrika, or one of the chabura, one of the members of the chabura. 
one of the members of the Chabura, ultimately again in possession of Chametz. But if someone at the end of the world, and those are both side, obviously, is there a possibility that there's always going to be someone in possession of Chametz? Sure. But Lamaisa, again, when do we say that possession of Chametz is problematic? When shechting the carbon? That's only if someone involved in the actual carbon itself, with the Shkita, with the Zrika, one of the members of the Chabura. But if somebody in the world has, uh, has Chametz, Ultimately, again, that does not pose a problem. And Abosay, listen to this. Now the Bryce is expanding. She's been expanding this. And whether you're doing Shrita, Zrika, Malika, also remember again, Malika is the process of shechting a bird, right? Where a bird's not really shechted, but rather again, the coin inserts his, his, his thumbnail into the back of the neck of the bird and kind of flips the head off like that. So the Gimar Tzvei Maze, or the sprinkling of the blood, Chayiv. All of these individuals, if they are in possession of Chametz, while doing these avodas, are Chayiv. Avol, HaKomen Tzamincha, but we'll see, interestingly enough, as much as we're talking about that, according to Yehuda, there that there's an opinion that not just Karban Pesach, but that other Karbanos as well, are going to be Chayiv if you do it in the possession of Chametz. It's not true by Kamitza. Kamitza is the process by Karban Mincha, in which the coin takes his three middle fingers, scoops up some of the some of the flour mixture offers that up on the carbon. I'm sorry. Then you're not in violation of anything. Similarly, again, if one goes ahead and burns the leftover fats and limbs on the Mizbeach, again, when one is in possession of Chomets, one is not in violation of any kind of law. So we'll say, okay, so that's the end of that price. The top of Samech Dalid. Kashia Malika Maliko, Kashia Taraktara. So we have two contradictory statements now, right? Ultimately, again, the Braise that we just quoted before. So, right, one source tells me that I'm chai for doing Malika if I own Chametz, and one source told me that I'm not. Kashia Taraktara, simply again, when burning of the leftover limbs and fats, one source tells me that I'm not chayiv if I do that when in possession of Chametz, and one source says that I was. Ulutamech, Tikshilcha, Higufa, Diktani. The Bryce we just quoted itself is inherently contradictory. Why? Because at first the Bryce has said the only time that it's problematic to possess chametz when engaging in sacrificial service is only by the actual offering of the karma Pesach itself. And then about say after you say that, then the Bryce, same Bryce says, whether you shecht, whether you do zrika, whether you do malika, whether you do hazal sprinkling, if you're in possession of chametz by any of these avodos, which clearly indicates to us that even avodos beyond the carbon Pesach, there is liability for possession of chametz. So what's going on over here? In other words, you have to say both opinions are Rabbi Shimon. I so what do you do about the contradiction of Malika? Malika, Malika, Lokasha, there's no contradiction by Malika. Kan Ba'arbasar, Kan Bicholol Shomoe. Tribos, listen to this. When you do Malika and are in possession of Chametz, if you're doing the Malika on the 14th, you're going to be Pater. 
But if you're doing Malika during Pesach in possession of Chametz, that's when you are going to be chayiv. Ve'idi ve'idi Rabbi Shimon he haktar haktar namilokasha. Similarly, again, the cases of haktar, the burning of the leftover limbs and fats, is also not a contradiction. Tanoihi, ultimately, again, that is a machlokis tanoim. Di'ika demakish haktar l'shchita. Di'ika mandalo makish. Rabbi say, what's the machlokis based on? Do you compare haktar to shchita? So, so if you compare haktar to shchita, that just as there is liability for shchita while in the possession of chametz, there will be liability for haktara while in the possession of chametz as well. But if you do not equate haktara to shchita, then ultimately, again, although there is liability for haktara, there will not be liability for shchita. Okay, Rabbi Huda Omer Afa Tamid. So remember, Rabbi Huda holds, as we just quoted before as well, Rabbi Huda holds that not only is there liability for shechting the carbon Pesach while in possession of chametz, but there will be liability for shechting the carbon Tamid while in possession of Chametz as well. My time with Rabbi Huda. What is Rabbi Huda's logic? Where does he get this from? Amr Lecha. The Pasuk says, Zivchi. The Pasuk that he's quoting over here is, Lo Sizbach al Chametz Dam Zivchi. Which is the Pasuk, one of the Pasukim that we learned to use, that you cannot go ahead and offer up a carbon, ultimately while in possession of Chametz. Listen to Rabbi Huda's drasha. He says, Zivchi. Rabbi says, Zivchi is, is possessive. Zevach Hameyuchad Li. The Pasik is referring to the to the carbon that is uniquely mine. And what is that referring to? What's the carbon that's uniquely belonging to Akodesh Baruch Hu? Mine Nihu? Tamid. That refers to the carbon Tamid. Therefore, Abi Huda learns that from that Pasik to say that if you possess Chomets on Erev Pesach when offering the carbon Tamid, ultimately again one will be Chayev for that. Rabbi Shimon Omer, HaPesach Barbar. So, again, this is the towards the end of the Mishnah. So, here you have Rabbi Shimon saying, uh, the quote was, the quote was, Rabbi Shimon Omer Pesach Bar Basra Lishmo Chayiv Vishalol Lishmo Potter. So Rabbi Shimon said that if you offer up the Pesach on the Erev Pesach, El Lishmo, you'll be Chayiv, Shalol Lishmo Potter, like we saw in yesterday's daf. Ushara Kolazvachim, but all other Karbanos, Bein Lishman, Ben Shalol Lishman Potter. So says the Gemara, my time is Rabbi Shimon. What's Rabbi Shimon's logic? Tichsev, Zivchi, Zivchi, Trey Zmani. So I'll say, remember again, interestingly enough, the word Zivchi comes up in two different psukim. So the first pasik is, Lo Sizbach al Chomets Dam Zivchi. And the second pasik is, Lo Sishchat al Chomets Dam Zivchi. So the Gemara says, Kari Bey, Zevach, Zevachai. So I'll say, this is actually very interesting. So Rabbi Shimon will say, that ultimately, again, it comes to teach me that you, you combine the two zivchis ultimately, again, for a statement of zivachai. Look at Rashi. But just actually, you don't have to look at Rashi. Yes. So zivachai, which comes, I will say, to include a much more all-encompassing group of karbonos. So why is it that the Torah goes ahead and separates the two zivchis. Why not put them together? In other words, Rabbi Shimon is coming along to say as follows. Rabbi Shimon is coming to say that halacha lemaisa shar kol azvachin ben lishman ben shalol lishman pater. So Rabbi Shimon is coming to go ahead and teach a principle about karbanos in general. And he gets that principle from the fact that it says zivchi zivchi. If you were to put those two words together, you would get zivachai, my karbanos, plural, all-encompassing. To which the Gemara says, okay, well, if that's the case, why not write Zivachai? Why not bring them together? To which the Gemara says, I'll tell you. Lameymar, bizman di'ika zevach, lo mechaiv azivachai. To teach me 
that at a time where there is the Zevach, now the Zevach in question over here is actually a reference to Karban Pesach. So when there is a Zevach, i.e. on Erev Pesach, lo mechayiv azvachai, then ultimately again you will not be chayiv for offering other Karbanos with Chametz. Bizman deleka Zevach, but where there is no Karban Pesach, which means if you were to offer up these Karbanos on Pesach itself, while in the possession of Chametz, mechayiv azvachai, then ultimately again you would be chayiv for offering other karbanos with chametz during Pesach as well. Good. Ubemoid the Shmo Potter. So remember again the Mishnah that went on to say, Ubemoid the Shmo Potter, Shalom the Shmo Chayiv, that if you go ahead and you offer up the carbon Pesach on Yamtiv, or it really means on Chalamayid, right? On Yamtiv itself, Lishmo, for the sake of Pesach, you'd be Potter, Shalom the Shmo Chayiv. Says the Gemara, time of the Shalodishmo. The reason ultimately, again, that you are Potter is because you offered up Shalodishmo. Hast, I'm sorry, because, I'm sorry, the reason you're Chayiv is because you offered up Shalodishmo. Hastama Potter. But if you were to offer up, I will say now the case that they're referring to over here is a case in which you were to offer up a carbon Pesach. If you were to offer up a carbon Pesach on Yom Tiv itself, Stama. Let's say you had an animal designated as a Pesach, you're not offering it up on Chalamayid. But you, the animal was originally set aside for Pesach. You're offering it up now on Chalamaid with absolutely no specific intent. What we call Stam. So we'll say, what do you, so Hastam, a Pater. It sounds like you would be Pater. Amai, Pesach, Bishar, Yimos, Hashana, Shlomim, Havi. Now I will say, now ultimately, again, if I offer up a Pesach, if I offer up an animal that was designated as a carbon Pesach, but now I offer it up on Yom Tif. So again, remember, I've missed my window of Erev Pesach. I'm now offering it up on Yom Tif. Now, boss, we saw this reading last week. What's the status of a Pesach offered up during the rest of the year? So the Pashtos, the Pesach offered up during the rest of the year is Ishlamim. So if that's the case, ultimately, again, why would I be partners? They're both saying, if I go ahead and I offer up a carbon, right, that was designated as a Pesach, I offer it up on Yom Tiv. I'm in possession of Chametz. Ultimately, again, why wouldn't one be Chayiv? After all, that's called the Shlamim. So the Gemara says, what do you see from here? Shamas Mina, Pesach, Bishar Yemos, Hashana, Boy Akira. So we'll say, this is very interesting. What do you see from here? You see from here that Halacha Lamaisa, if you have an animal, des- so we'll say, this is a general kasha. If you have an animal designated as a carbon Pesach, and you offer it up during the rest of the year, but let's say, you offer it up without any specific intent. So how is that animal viewed? Do we view that as a Pesach or do we view that as a Shlomim? The Gemara wants to suggest that you see from our Mishnah that the only way to undo the Pesach designation is to actively uproot it. Actively uproot it. That's in the Shamas Minah, Pesach, Bishari, Mosashana, Bai, Akira. That if you take an animal designated as your Karma Pesach and you offer it up during the rest of the year, in order for it to be classified as a shlamim, you must actively uproot its designation as a Pesach, and ultimately, again, then it becomes a shlamim. So we'll say, as opposed to saying, as opposed to saying, which kind of what we thought last week, we're opposed to saying that no, whenever you offer up a Pesach during the rest of the year, it automatically becomes a shlamim. We'll say, why does it automatically become a shlamim? Why? Why? Because it can't be a Pesach. Right? If it can't be a Pesach, Sorry. If it can't be a Pesach, then ultimately, again, by definition, it becomes a Shlomim. So you see from here that halacha lemaisa, in order to uproot the Pesach identity, you must actively do so. 
To which Gemara says no. Said we learned in our chabur in our group. We'll say what's the case over here? The case where you had a chabura and or an individual for that matter. It doesn't really matter. They separate out a current pesach. And I'll say let's say for argument's sake on erev pesach they become tummy. Before they get a chance to offer up the Karban Pesach, they become Tami. Now, by the way, it doesn't have to be that they become Tami in the era of Pesach. They can become Tami sometime before Pesach as well. But the idea is, you have a Chabura, they set aside an animal for Karban Pesach, then they become Tami. So we'll say, what happens if you become Tami? Not a pro- I mean, not a problem. You have Pesach Sheni. In this case, the animal is actively set aside now for Pesach Sheni use. Vinitchen the Pesach Sheni. So we'll say, this is actually very interesting. If you look at Rashi, Rashi says, actually quite fascinating. Listen to what the Gemara is saying. In a general, in, in general, in general, if you have an animal set aside for carbon Pesach and you offer it up during some other time of the year, you do not have to actively uproot the Pesach identity. Rather, again, that animal is automatically reclassified as what? As a shlomim, with one exception. The one exception is if you had an animal set aside for Pesach, carbon Pesach, and then you became tummy. So therefore, by definition, you are automatically deferred to Pesach Sheni, in which case the animal that you had set aside for Pesach Rishon is also what? Automatically deferred to Pesach Sheni. An animal that was automatically deferred to Pesach Sheni, that then is offered up sometime between Pesach Rishon and Pesach Sheni, remains Pesach, unless of course what? It's actively uprooted. So you hear that distinction? In a regular case, in a regular case, where you had an animal set aside as a Pesach, and then you offer it up during the rest of the year. When you offer that up, the Pesach identity is automatically dislodged and it's looked at as a shlamim. But if you were going to offer up an animal on Pesach, but then you became Tame, so you were automatically deferred to Pesach Sheni, the assumption is that animal is going to be used for Pesach Sheni. And if you offer up that animal anytime between Pesach Rishon and Pesach Sheni, in order for you to remove the Pesach identity, you must actively dislodge it. Incredible. Both say, now we come to an incredible, incredible piece of halacha, agarita, magnificent gemara. Both say, you're going to see what's beautiful about this gemara, this mishnah now, and the gemara afterwards, is every time you come to a mishnah like this that paints a picture for you about how life was in the Beis Hamikdash, if you close your eyes, not while we're learning, but if you figuratively close your eyes, you could mamish see the scene unfolding right in front of you. And we say, We ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu to bring us back to the Beis HaMikdash, to bring the Bayesh Lishi, to bring us back to Eretz Yisrael, and Mirat HaShem B'Karov. And the say, these little Mishnayas give you this, this little bit, this little, you'll see, it's, it's, it's overwhelming. Says the Mishnah, HaPesach Nishchat B'Shalosh Kitos. The Karba Pesach was shechted, was shechted, ultimately again in three groups. Shene Amar, to also Kol Kehal Adas Yisrael. Kehal Ve'eda V'Yisrael. So we'll say, so number one, number one, so which is interesting to note, is that there are always three groups for Karban Pesach. Right? There are always three shifts. Now, where do we get the three shifts from? Because again, the Mishnah quotes the Pasuk, because the Pasuk is V'Shachah to also Kol Kehal Adas Yisrael. 
there are three words that are used to describe Kalal Yisrael. So therefore, again, Kal Eivda Yisrael, therefore three groups for Shatim Karma Pesach. Both said, listen, get, get ready for this. So when the first, when the first Chavra came in, when the first Chavra came in, so what happens? So the, the Azara, remember both say the courtyard of the Beis Hamitosh became full. Ninalu daltos Nalu. So we'll see, we'll see what this means, but they closed the gates of the courtyard. So the, the size of the group was measured by the number of people who could be accommodated in the Azara. In the Azara. So as soon as the courtyard was filled, they closed the doors. Taku heriyo v'taku. Both say first wide line. Samech dalid amad aleph sixty four a. So they literally again they blew a tekia true and a tekia. Hakohanim omdim shuros shuros. The kohanim stood in a line. I both said you have to imagine. I'm sorry. I actually I should have. Um, I'm going to send that a little bit later. Just like the aerial view, uh, the aerial photograph of the base. I mean, so that you could see this. So remember again. When you walk into the base of Mikdash, the first area is what we call the courtyard, which was a large open area. Then there were a series of steps, a platform, another series of steps down. When you went down those second series of steps, in, right in front of you was the Mizbeach, the large, what we call the Mizbeach Anachoshes, the, la- the large, Mizbeach, large altar made out of copper, which was used for animal sacrifice. So if you could imagine, the Jewish people, right, Claudius Yisrael, Claudius Yisrael, now we'll, we'll see who's exactly coming in, but they come into the Azara, they're coming with their animals. They're coming with, they remember, they're coming with their sheep, coming to Karim Pesach. So what would happen? There would be lines of Kohanim. Now, if you can imagine, lines of Kohanim extended from the Azara over the steps, onto the platform, down the steps, all the way to the Mizbeach. All the way to the Mizbeach. So we'll say, now watch, it would be a deim, Bazikh The Kohanim are holding bowls made of gold, bowls made of silver. Shura Shakula Kesef Kesef, Vashura Shakula Zav Zav. Now, both say in one row, either they were silver or gold. In other words, there, there was, it didn't matter. You could use silver or gold, but the point over here is that every row, the, the row used the same material. So you wouldn't have in one row, you wouldn't have in one row a bunch of people, you know, some people holding gold, some people holding silver. But rather, again, in one row, if it was, if, right, it was either all gold or all, or, or, or all silver. So we'll say they would not mix gold and silver. I want to be clear. So you had two rows of Kohanim. Two rows of Kohanim. Now, one row could be gold, one row could be silver, but the idea is whatever, whatever, what, each row, what's the word, was, um, was uniform. Was uniform. So again, either you're using gold or using silver. No mixing of matching of utensils within one row. We'll discuss why that is. Furthermore, the bowls that they used had pointed bottoms, did not have flat bottoms, in order that the Kohanim could not put down the blood. Because we'll say, as we're going to see, blood from every single carbon had to be applied to the Mizbeach. So if you put down, the concern was that in the rush of things, Cohen might forget about the blood. Once the blood congeals, you can't do Zrika anymore. So therefore, they were unable to put down the bowls, ensuring that Zrika would get done. Shachat Yisrael, so say, here, listen to this, here was the process. So Yisrael would shech the carbon. So I'll say they're shechting the carbonos in the Azara, right, in the courtyard. Remember again, normally, where were carbonos shechted? Right, remember, right by the Mizbeach, there were those rings, right? There were those rings. You would shech the carbonos. Now, the truth is, you could shech the carbonos anywhere inside of the base of Mikdash. But here, 
they were shechting the carbonos inside of inside of the courtyard. Shachat Yisrael, so Yisrael would shech the carbon. The kibel coin, the coin would receive the blood. Venosin the chaveru, the chaveru, the chaveru. So remember again, now you see why they need the line. It's an assembly line. So what would happen? The Yisrael would shech his carbon. The coin would do the Kabbalah, he would receive the blood, and then they would hand the blood down the line of the Kohanim. And the line, remember, would extend from the Azaro all the way to the Mizbeach. So what happened? And what would happen? The Kohanim would hand the full bowl of blood and hand back the empty one. So this was the assembly line going back and forth from the Mizbeach. And the coin closest to the Mizbeach, Nabosana, interestingly enough, what you, be, what you see from this Mishnah is, he would, Zorik means throw. He would throw all of the blood onto the base of the Mizbeach. So as opposed to regular Zrika, which was normally done like with a finger of the coin, by carbon Pesach, all of the blood was poured, but it was really thrown. It was thrown onto the base of the Mizbeach. Very interesting. Yotzesa Kas HaRishon, so we'll say the first Hevra came out. Nichnesa Kas Shnia. Then the second group came in. Yotzesa Shnia, Nichnesna Shlishis. So we'll say this was the process. Kimase HaRishon, Kachmase HaShnia VaShlishis. And it was the same pro- the process that the Gemara just, that the Mishnah just outlined was the same process used for all three groups. So we'll say, listen to how beautiful this is. Karu Esahala. People say, can you imagine this scene? Can you imagine what this must have been like? So you have the Azora filled with Jews. They're shechting the carbon Pesach and they're singing Hala. Can you imagine what that must have sounded like? A packed Azora singing Hala. And it was for sure a Kalbach Hala also. No Shiloh. Right? Karu Halal im Gomlu Shanu. So let's listen to this. If they finished Halal the first time, they would repeat it. Vim shanu shulshu. And again, if they finished it a second time, they don't notice. They both said they would keep on saying halal over and over and it's incredible. Over and over and over until everybody finished. So the Gemara says, listen to this statement. So the Gemara says, We'll see what this means in just a moment. So the Mishnah says, but by the way, they never got to the third round of halal. In other words, they both said this was an efficient mechanism that had working over here. So the most they had to do was two rounds of halal. They never got to a third round of halal. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Miyameim Shalkas Shlishis. So I will say, so first the Mishnah says that they never had to get to a third round of halal. Rabbi Yehuda says, by the way, in the third Hebron, the third group, they never even got up to Ahafti, Ahafti ki Yishma Hashem, which is in the be- which is towards the beginning of Halal. They never even got up. Now, what, now we'll say that means the first the first time throughout they never they never even got up to Ahafti. Why not? Because the third Chabura, the third group, was always the smallest. Was always the smallest. Because again, everybody everybody rushed in again to the first. Rabbi I'll tell you something amazing. The um, the uh, the Katzker Rebbe, of Katz says something so beautiful. Listen to this. He writes, this is so beautiful. gimel. So the Mishnah says, for all the days by the third group, listen to what the Katzker says. 
אז הם לא היו מקט גימל, אלא מקט א'. So the Kratzker says, what does it mean? Miyameyem shal kat gimel lo yigil la'ahavti. So the third group, kat gimel, right? Kat gimel never got the ahavti. Why not, says the Kratzker? What does it mean? Because if you got to ahavti, you are part of kat aleph. <laughs> you ready? Kat gimel never got to ahavti. If you, are, if, you are part, if you got to ahavti, ahavti ki ishmash, if you love HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you weren't part of kat gimel. You are part of kat aleph. Which I've also said, Kutzker is saying something amazing. Do you know how you demonstrate your love for something? How do you demonstrate your love for something? Through Zrizos. Through Zrizos, I've also said. Again, being on time for something indicates my love for it. Right? If I love it, I'm there on time. If I'm late, I don't love it as much that you can say that you love it. But Lamaisa, we're never late for things that are exceptionally important to us. So the Kaskar says, that's the Pshat. What does he mean? Right? All of the days of the third group, they never got to a hafti. Yeah, because if you're part of the third group, you're not exactly in the din of a hafti. If you're in love with the Ribbono Shal Olam, you're part of Kat Aleph. If you're in love with the Ribbono Shal Olam, then it's reason Makdimim limits us. It's a real Kaskar Vart. So the Gemara goes, the Mishnah goes right there. So we'll say the same way. And there's so much to say on these Gemaras. Okay. The same way, the same way that they did during the week was the same way they did on Shabbos. Um, right. Kimaseo, I'm sorry. Kimaseo bechol kach maaseo b'Shabbos. Elo. So we'll say, it's the same, it's the same process. Same process, weekday Shabbos, all the same thing. Elo, shako, handim madichem es hazar Shabbos. We'll say one interesting thing. We'll see this in the Gemara a little bit. What they used to do is as follows. They'll say, if you could imagine this, you know, this is all beautiful and spiritual, to bring you down to the world of the material for just a moment. The Beis HaMikdash, the Azura, was filled with blood. For me, it was not, I mean, this is not for the faint. Say, I often wonder about this, right? Like all of this, the halal, like sign me up for the halal. Being knee deep in blood, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I just don't know. I'm gonna oh, well, we'll develop a thicker skin. So what they used to do was they said during the week, during the week, what they would do is as follows: there was a channel of water that ran through the courtyard of the base Hamikdash. So what they would do during the week is they would stop up the channel, flood the azara, then open the channel back up, and essentially the water would wash out all of the blood and all of the shmutz. That's what they did during the week. The Kohanim did this on Shabbos as well. And the Rabbanim were not happy with the Kohanim for doing this. Again, we'll discuss in greater depth in the Gemara, but that was a point of contention. Rabbi Huda Omer, Kos Rabbi Huda said that they would, and when they were finished with everything, a Kohen or the Kohanim would pick up a, a cup of blood. And both say, now that blood at the end of the day, or maybe at the end of each group, was kind of a composite, was a mixture of all of the bloods. They did one zrika on the Mizbech, which was like a combination of all of those bloods. However, the Chachamim did not like this. Okay, again, we'll see what exactly the problem was. So we'll say, so now remember again, after you shech the Kermabezach, you have to flay it. Right, you have to re- you have to remove the skin. So how do they do that? So unkolios shall barza hayukvuim b'ksalim uba amudim. So I'll say, so remember again, they had iron hooks. 
They had iron hooks that were on the wall as well as on the pillars. This is still in the base Amikdash. Shebohen tolid umaf shitin. They would hang the animal on these hooks and they would flay the animal like that. Whoever didn't have a place to go, I mean, let's say, let's say they're out of hooks. You didn't get a hook fast enough. No problem. They had thin pieces of wood. So what would you do? So the Gemara says, If you couldn't get a hook, what would you do? You'd come with your chaber. You would each take, right, you take, you take, a, take one of these wooden poles. You would put one on your shoulder, you'd put one on his shoulder. You'd suspend the animal in between you. And you'd flay the animal like that. Rabbi Eliezer, Omar Rabbi Eliezer says, If Erev Pesach falls on Shabbos, then ultimately, again, maniach yodo akasef chabero, v'yad chabero al ksefo v'tola umafshif. So, this is actually very interesting. So, Rabbi Meir says, Rabbi Meir says, Rabbi, excuse me, Rabbi Lazar says, that when Erev Pesach fell out on Shabbos, you can't use the sticks. You can't use the staffs. Now, Rashi says over here, ve'enu yocha it's because you can't make the staffs, which sounds like they were actually fashioning the staffs on Shabbos itself, which would be a problem maybe of Tikkun Kli, Tikkun Mana, we're going to see obviously, that there are others who suggest that it's actually a problem of Muktza. Okay, but again, remains to be seen. So on Shabbos, you wouldn't use the staffs. Instead, what do you do? You put your hand on your friend's shoulder. Your friend puts your hand on your shoulder. You essentially suspend the animal between you, and you flay it like that. Karo Votias Amurov, you open up the animal. You take out the sacrificial parts. No snow, but magis, and you put it in a bowl. Then the coin would take it and ultimately go ahead and offer it up on the Mizbeach. So we'll say, so now remember again, now we've seen the process inside of the Beis HaMikdash itself. Now we'll say, remember, once you finish flaying your animals, your animal and the sacrificial parts are removed, now of course the remaining pieces, you have to roast it. So we'll say, obviously roasting did not happen in the Beis HaMikdash, Roasting happens somewhere in Yerushalayim. So what happens? So we'll say, so now here's what's interesting. So on a regular, on a regular era of Pesach, that was not, that was not Shabbos. Uh, that after you finish your shechting, flaying, offering up a sacrificial part, you take your animal out and you, you find your spot in Yerushalayim to go ahead and roast your carbon Pesach. And however, if Erev Pesach falls out on Shabbos, it's a little bit different. So we'll say, now obviously you can't roast it, you can't roast it until Matzei Shabbos. So look what happened. So we'll say again, when Erev Pesach fell out on Shabbos, the, the Chaburas, the groups, would essentially stay put until after Shabbos was over. Now the problem is, of course, you can't have everybody remain in one place because there's not enough space. So the first group, which was the first one in, right? First one in, and therefore again, first one out. What they call an accounting FIFO, right? First in, first out. So Yatsasakasarishona, where did they go? So ultimately Yashalabaharabayas. They situated themselves in the Harabayas. Okay? Shniya Bechel, the second Hevra. So they settled in the Khel, which I will say was an area right outside of the Ezras Noshim. Vashlishes Bimkoma Omedes. And the third group actually stays in the Azara, in the courtyard itself.
Good. So first group went out onto the Harabayas. Second group right out of the Ezra's Nashim. Third group remains in the courtyard in the Azar until after Shabbos is over. Once Shabbos is over, and then they went out and they roasted their Pesach. I will say, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that a magnificent Mishnah? So now you can see in your mind, right, the imagery of how Era Pesach actually played out in the Beis HaMikdash, both on a regular day as well as on Shabbos. Beautiful. So we'll say, here we go. Amar of Yitzchak, Eina Pesach Nishchat Ela Begimel Kito Shal Shloshim Shloshim Menei Adam. So it's very interesting. Rabbi Yitzchak says, so we'll say, the Mishnah already told me that we have three groups for the Shech to give Karban Pesach, right? Based on the Pazik that says, Kol Kehal Adas Yisrael. Kehal Eda Yisrael. Therefore, by definition, three groups. Comes on Rabbi Yitzchak, he says, by the way, those three groups must be made up of a minimum of 30 people each. 30 people each. Now, why is that? My time, because we'll say, without getting into all of this now, we know elsewhere that those terms, Kahal, Eda, and Yisrael, all represent a minimum of 10 people. So the, the Shaila now is like this. I know I need three groups. The Shaila is, are the three groups operate concurrently or consecutively? So I will say, if it's concurrently, that means I need a minimum of 30 people in the basement at any time. If it's consecutively, then maybe it's only ultimately, what, 10 at a time. So because we're not sure, but in shalosh kitos, shloshim, shloshim adam. Therefore, we'll say we make sure that we have a minimum of three groups of 30 people each. That way, first, why lies some of the days? That way, if I need... 30 at once, I have them. And if it's one after the other, I have it as well. That's why even if you have only 50 people, it's okay also. Why? And the first group will let 30 go in. We'll let 10 people go out, 10 more people go in. And then subsequently again, then we let another 10 people go in and 10 more people come out. So you, you would have a... So all the more just pointing out, I will say, is that even if you just had a group of 50, even if you just had a group of 50, that would still allow us to maintain 30 at every Chabura. Good. So both say, I just want to point out, remember, I know what you're thinking to yourself. You're thinking to yourself... How does this possibly work? How can you have all of Klal Yisrael represented in three chesros? So remember, remember, we're going to see this in just a moment, but remember, there was only one representative per Chabura who went in with the animal. In other words, we'll say, let's say for argument's sake, we're a Chabura. We're a Chabura of people. So we don't all go to the Beis HaMikdash. We appoint one guy. I'm going to ask maybe if you appoint me. Let me do it, please. <laughs> right, so, we'll say, so we appoint one guy. One guy goes, and that's it. So, so you have to understand, so as we're going to see, every, every lamb essentially represented a minimum, we're going to see of like 10 people. So when you think about those numbers, and the Azara was quite large, and it was packed, when you think about that, and I will say, I want to point out something else, not every person came to do Karban Pesach. So remember again, you had people who were tummy. They weren't doing Pesach Rishon. You had people who were Dech Brecholka, too far, they weren't doing. So it wasn't all of them Yisrael. So the, the point is, and I was working a little bit backwards, it worked. How do we know it worked? How do we know it worked? Because it worked. Because <laughs> the mission said it worked. So it's hard, to, it's hard to imagine, but somehow you got all of Klal Yisrael in like this. So the Gemara goes right there. So both say, this is great. Nech Nesakas Rishon. Say Itmar. Both say, get ready for this. Remember, remember the Mishnah said, the first group would come in, and then they would, the, the doors of the Azara would close. So I'll say, now watch this. Itmar, 
means the doors were closed, or the doors closed. Abai says it was a miracle. It was a miracle. What would happen? I will say, how would they know when, when they had enough people in the Azra that had to close the doors? The doors miraculously closed. When the Azara was full, was full, the doors closed themselves. That's what it means, nin alu. Nin alu, they closed. Rava Amar, no alin. Rava says no. It doesn't mean, Rabbi says they, they closed. Shabbos say different gear so. Sabai says the doors were closed. Miraculous, it was a miracle. Rava says, Rava says ultimately again, they were closed by the Kohanim. So the Gemara says, my benayhu. So we'll say, what, what's, what's the nafkamina between these two opinions? Can you rely on miracles? So I will say, Abayi would say you could rely on miracles and we keep on allowing people into the Azara until the doors close themselves. Rabba says, no, we don't rely on miracles. You have to use, you do your ocular intake. You see how many people are in the Azara. Does it look too full, not look too full? The moment it looks too full, you close the doors. So I'll say, I want to point out over something very interesting. So let me finish this. Abayi Amar, nin alutnan, malu, Abai says you let as many people in as possible. And then when Akhlish Baruch wants you to cut off the first group, so to second group, the doors will close on their own. And we rely on a miracle. Rava Amar Noelintanan. Rava says, no, we don't rely on miracles. You close the doors yourself. And we do not rely on miracles. Now I will say, I want to point out, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, everybody knows, we don't rely on miracles. So I want to point out something very important over here. It's true, we don't rely on miracles when? Under natural circumstances and in the regular world. The Beis HaMikdash, the Beis HaMikdash is a Olam Bifne Atzmo. The Beis HaMikdash was a place of perpetual miracles. Remember again, I will say everything from the fire that came down from the heavens to the pillar of smoke that came off of the Mizbech HaKitoros that never wavered. To the point where Amar Adam Makam, all of the clients were able to fit in. The Beis HaMikdash was a place of miracles. And that's because the Beis HaMikdash is the meeting point between this world and HaKadosh Baruch the celestial abode. So because of that, it was not regulated by the same laws. Right? In the veldt, you know, in, in the world, in the world, in our daily lives, in some Chalalanes, you do not rely on miracles. You have to go ahead and put in proper Yishtadlus. In the Beis HaMikdash, it's a different story. Sabai says in the Beis HaMikdash, some You let people into the Beis HaMikdash until the doors close themselves. Rava says no. Even in the Beis HaMikdash, you do not rely on miracles. Whereas if God wants to perform miracles, that's God's business. But anything that we have, any process we have to manage... We manage ultimately again under norm- normative circumstances. So let's get ready for this. The Gemara says, this is incredible. So the Gemara says, was put in What happened with the Kavya B'mahalal? I say, take a look at Rashi. <laughs> this Gemara is just incredible. So listen to this. Said that we do not administer sota wars. Remember again, if a woman is suspected of adultery, there's a process of sota. Kavib Mahalal says we do not give sota waters to a gioras, to a convert. To a convert. 
really, but there was a story of the Gioras who was suspected of adultery, and Shmai and Avtalion, two great sages, gave her to drink soda, uh, soda waters. Amr lahem dugma hishkua. So Sekhaib Mahala says, oh, that's because she was like them. Now, said, Akavya, uh, excuse me, Shmai and Avtalion were descendants of Gerim, right? They were descendants of converts. So Akavya Mahala spoke about them a little bit disparaging. and said, ah, yeah, of course, they gave the Gioras the drink because she was just like them. So Kavim Mahalo spoke disparagingly of Shemayin Avtalion. As a result, um, so as a result, what happened? Um, and ultimately, again, they excommunicated him. So they, they put, they put Akavim Mahalo, both say, Akavim Mahalo is one of the Gidoli Adar. But they put him ultimately, again, in Nidwe. They put him in excommunication because he spoke disparagingly of Shemayin Avtalion. I will say, so just what an important lesson for us, right? Especially, again, and a time where it is so commonplace to speak disparagingly about anyone and everyone. Religious leaders, your fellow, it doesn't make a difference. We'll say, see, here you have a Kavya ben Mahalalel, who was the Gadol Hadar, one of the Gadol Hadar. And because he spoke disparagingly about Shemaya and Avtalion, they put him in Kherim. What, 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 what? One important lesson to sensitize us, not just how, about how we speak about Gidoli Adar, how we speak about anyone and everyone. So I'll say, so the Gemara says, Rabbi Yehuda, Chas v'shalom, Sha'akab mahalal and So Rabbi Yehuda says, no, 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 you got the story wrong. They never put Akab mahalal and Cherem. Why not? I'll say, here we go. Shein azara nin elas al kol adam b'yisrael b'chachom b'yira b'yira ascheda akab mahalal. Because Rabbi say, the doors of the azar never closed upon someone as great as a Kavya ben Mahalala, with wisdom and with Yiraschet as a Kavya Mahalala. So both sides. So I just want to point. So the, the point over here the Gemara is making is what does it say? The doors of the Azara never closed on someone as great in Chachma and Yiraschet as a Kavya Mahalala. So what does this seem to support? This seems to support Abaye. Or we'll see. But, but it's, the doors of the Azara are closing on there. And I just want to point out look how the Gemara describes the greatness of the Kavya ben Mahalala. Chachma, wisdom. And Yiraschet, fear of sin. Sirabo say, Chachma by itself is never enough. Right? Chachma is wonderful. Wisdom is great. But unless wisdom is tempered by Yiraschet, unless wisdom is tempered by a fear of sin, wisdom easily breeds arrogance. It is only wisdom that is accompanied by Yiraschet that becomes a true credit to the individual. Abai Mitar Satame, Rav. So we'll say both Abai and Rav read this line in accordance with their own positions. like supporting his position. Abai says, the gates of the Azara never closed upon someone who was as great as Chachman Yirashet as a Mahalo. Meaning what? That the gates of the Azara closed miraculously themselves. Rav Mataris Latame, Rav reason according to his reasoning. There was no one inside of the Azara at the time that they closed the gates, who was as great in wisdom and Yiraschet as Akavim and Mahala. So we'll say, so just an interesting Machlokis. Machlokis Abayin Rava, how did the doors of the Azara close? So we'll say, here's what we know. We know that obviously at some point in time, they had to close, or the doors of the Azara had to close in order to signal 
First group, done. Second group, done. So how did the doors close? Machlok is Abayi and Rabbi Abayi says, they closed miraculously. Yechosh Baruch Hu decided when the group was closed out. Rava says, no, there was no miracle, because no, there's no miracle here. Ultimately, again, they closed the doors. I guess the Kohanim or someone closed the door and they decided that Azara was, was full enough. We'll say, what's the fundamental Machlokes? What's the fundamental Machlokes? Do we say Sumchin Alaneis Pemakoma Mikdash Azal? Which Rabbi say means, it's such a profound Ashkatik Machlokes as well. Is there ever a time when we rely on miracles in Olam Hazeh or not? To which Rava will say, no, no. In this world, we do not rely on miracles. And even in the base HaMikdash itself, you don't rely on miracles. Everything is based on your Hishtaglus, of course, with Siyad Deshmaya. And I will say, what Abayi says is something amazing. Abayi says it's not true. In general, in the world, in Somchen but there does come a certain point in time when you come into the Beis HaMikdash, that ultimately, again, your Hishtadlus ends and the place of Nisim begins. And if you think about this on a Ashkafic level, what Abai is also saying is, even in the world, you have to put in your Hishtadlus, but perhaps there does come a certain point in time where you say, I've put in my Hishtadlus, and now the rest of this, this being the success of this particular endeavor, ultimately, again, it's up to you. Is there ever a point in time where I kind of throw it back to God? Abaye will say yes. Rava will say no. A fundamental machlokis in Hashkaf HaSachin. I will say quite an amazing machlokis. Incredible, incredible. So I will say the goes right. By the way, it's not too late to take your Dafyomi notebooks because these are the kind of circuits. So I will say, yeah, yeah, you, you must be writing these things down because you know what's going to happen. You know what's going to happen. In two days from now, this is going to be kechalom yo'of. Like a fleeting dream, right? We're not going to forget. We're going to forget this. So we'll say, you don't have to use a Dafyomi notebook, but somewhere, whether it's in the margins of your Gemara, where the event, we'll say, please, I beg you, because in a seven and a half year cycle, where we move at lightning speed, do not depend on your power of retention to remember any of these Gemaras. You're going to forget it. These are the kind of Gemaras you say over at your Shabbos table. These are the kind of Gemaras you say over at your dinner table. These are the kind of Gemaras when you want to make elevator talk with someone. But I see, by the way, did you see Pesachim? What are you going to talk about? The ravens, the this, the that. We'll say, these are the kind of things. Right? Halavai, we should get to the level that our small talk is dafyomi. We'll say, but please, I, I, I beg you, find a way to remember and to retain these Gemaras. Tan Rabbanon. Me'olam lo nismaich adam ba'azara. It was another great Gemara. A person was never nismaich, Rabose literally means crushed. Right? A person was never crushed in the Azara. Chutzmi Pesach Echad, except for one Pesach. It did happen one time. As I will say, what it means is, now, now crushed doesn't mean like, what it, what it just means is, as much as there were a lot of people there, it was never like to the point where it was uncomfortable. Except for one year when it was. Where one older guy got a little crushed. And they called it, they called it the crushed Pesach. Okay? Tana Abaran. Beautiful story. One time, one time, we'll say, by the way, we don't have time for it now, but because we're not Mashad, but we'll say, I just want to point out that, that that story is very strange. No, that story is very strange. Look in the Marshal, the Marshal comments on this on this particular story. There's a message about saying all of these things about, remember, the fact that no one ever got crushed 
That's a reference ultimately to the fact that everyone was acting Barat on Hashem. When you act Barat on Hashem, everything works out. If somebody's getting crushed, that means there was something wrong on that Pesach. That's your homework. One time, King Agrippas. And I will say, King Agrippas is an interesting figure who we learn about it in Mesechah Sukkah. So one time, King Agrippas was a Jewish king. Was a Jewish king. Now, now whether Agrippas was fit to be king or not is a whole other discussion. But King Agrippas was a very good man. He was a tzaddik. Again, whether he was fit from a lucha, when I say fit, meaning genealogically fit, is a different discussion. So the Gemara says, one time King Agrippas wanted to see the size of the Jewish people, the count of the Jewish people. So what did he say? So, so Amr Leila Koin Gadol, Tain Einecha Bepsachim. So he said to the Koin Gadol, Koin Gadol, do me a favor. There's a great way to, met, to, to, to kind of get an idea as to the number of the Jewish people. See how many carbon Pesachs are brought. So many Karbanos are brought. Tell me the number of carbon Pesachs. So what did the Koin Gadol do? So not echad. So the Koin Gadol took a kidney to every carbon Pesach. He took a kidney. The nimsa was says the nimsa sham shishim ribo zuge klayos. We'll say so the coin gadol had six hundred thousand pairs of kidneys. See, which was say sounds like what? One point two million kidneys, right? One point two million kidneys. I was saying now understand, right? Six hundred thousand pairs. And I was say whenever you see, whenever like the Gemara counts pairs. It's always a machlokis as to whether pairs should be counted as times two or just. So this is saying, is it saying over here ultimately 600,000 kidneys? But Papashos, let's go with the count of 600,000 pairs of kidneys. Kiflayim kiyotzi Mitzrayim, which sounds like two times as many Jews who left Egypt. So 600,000 men between the ages of 20 and 60. There are 1.2 million kidneys. 1.2 million kabbalas. I'm going to say, the Pashtos, this is probably a little bit hyperbolic, but Lamaisa, what it means is a lot of Karbanas. A lot of Karbanas. If you go at that number, by the way, it's actually not such a crazy number if you think about it, because I will say, if you have 1.2, if you have, well, well, it is a very crazy number. If you have 1.2 million, right, 1.2 million kidneys, 1.2 million Karbanas, right now, so I will say, so the Pashtos, well, how, whatever the math is, he says, it means twice as many as the Jews who left Egypt. Which means, again, there's 1.2 million Karbanas. Tegimar says, now that doesn't include Chutz mitame Choka. And I will say that that excludes the people who were Tame and too far away to offer up the Kabesach. Furthermore, So I'll say, ultimately, again, and remember, every Karban had at least. 10 people, every Chabura had at least 10 people who were part of it. So we'll say, so that is an enormous number of Jews. An enormous number of Jews. Now, if you do the math of here, we'll say, what that makes it over is, is, is more than 13 million Jews. So we'll say, so again, the number is not that high, but Lamaisa, again, just a little indication as to the incredible enormity of Cloud Yisrael. We'll say, they called that year Literally, the fat Pesach, right? Or the thick Pesach, that Baruch Hashem. So many Jews, so many Kavanah's Pesach. So, one second. Natal Kulya, how is the Kohen Gadol able to take a kidney? Habay Akture. 
We'll say the kidney is one of the sacrificial parts that has to be burnt on the Mizbeach. So we'll say, remember, again, it sounds like what the coin Gadol is doing. He's taking out a pile of kidneys and he shows that grapes. Look at the pile of kidneys. The kidneys have to be burnt on the Mizbeach. The Hadr Makjalu. No, no, no. The coin Gadol set aside the kidneys and then afterwards, after the pile of kidneys, then he burnt them on the Mizbeach. I've Oksiv Viktiru Shaloya Arif Chalav of Shazab. The way it works with sacrificial parts of Bosei is the sacrificial parts of each animal must be burnt independently from the sacrificial parts of any other animal. So you can't just take a pile of kidneys and burn them all together. This is the Gemara says, What it means is afterwards the Kohen Gadzal burnt each kidney one at a time. I but one second about say the Pasik says that you're really supposed to burn the sacrificial parts of an animal all together at once. Sometimes both say that the sacrificial parts of every animal are supposed to be burned together as one unit. Rather about say what happened over here is like this. The coin goddamn took a kidney, but then they replaced the kidney with something else. Rashbaz out like a like a bean or a rock. So the point over here is they burnt the sacrificial parts. But the idea is that the Kohen Gadol had a pile, whatever it is, he marked each kidney with a stone. So he didn't have a pile of kidneys, he had a pile of stones. But the point is through the pile of stones, we were able to see the sheer volume of the number of carbonos that were brought. Kohanim omnim shuros. So I will say, ultimately, again, the Kohanim were standing in lines. So the Gemara says, now, say, now remember, the Mishnah said they were able to use silver bowls or gold bowls. But whatever they were using in one line, it was uniform throughout the line. So the Gemara says, my time, so my time, what's the reason? If you want to say, because ultimately again, maybe what's going to happen, if it's gold and silver mixed, maybe Rabbi says the assembly line is going towards the Mizbeach, so coin A gives to coin B a gold bowl, and then coin B gives back to coin A a silver bowl. Ultimately, and I will say, and then what happens? If remember, in general, we have a concept of malin mitzvos ve'imoridin, right? Or malin bakodesh ve'imoridin. We go up, we don't go down in kedusha. Well, if coin A is handing to coin B a gold bowl, and then he gets back from coin B to coin A a silver bowl, essentially that's going down in kedusha, right? I'm handing gold and I'm getting back silver. So, is there a problem of malin bakodesh ve'imoridin? Even with gold, what's to say that coin A won't hand coin B a gold bowl worth a hundred zuz and he's going to get back something only worth fifty zuz? Isn't that problematic? Ella, the hachi shapir today. Rather, Rabbi Say the Gemara says, no. What is this about? This is about the aesthetic. The aesthetic. Then Rabbi Say, if you could imagine, it just looks much more beautiful when everything is uniform. So therefore, again, you could use gold or you could use silver, it doesn't matter, but whatever you were using in a particular line, it had to be uniform. Why? It's not an issue of value, it's an issue of aesthetic. So we'll do one more line. So remember again, I both said the bowls themselves did not have a flat bottom, they had a pointed bottom, so that the coin could not put it down in order that the blood should not congeal. In general, all of the bowls of the Beisat Mikdash did not have a flat bottom. Because in general, you did not want bowls which contained blood to be able to be put down. Because if they could be put down, they could congeal, and then you can't do this. With one exception, Chutz, 
with the exception of the bowl which contained the frankincense for Lechem Aravos. Remember again, Lechem Aponim, showbreads which were placed on the Shulchan. There were also two ladlefuls, right? Two ladlefuls of frankincense, of Levona, that were put on the Shulchan. Every other bowl or container in the base of Mikdash that had a pointed bottom, so you couldn't put it down, with the exception of the bowls for the Levona. Those had flatter bottoms. Why? Because since those bowls were put on the shulchan next to the lechem aponim, what was the concern? The concern was if they had a pointed bottom, because they were put next to the bread, they may puncture the lechem aponim. So as to avoid puncturing the lechem aponim, they had flat bottoms. Right? The say, we'll have to stop over here. Say, we will pick up. Right? I feel like, no. Didn't I tell you? Was it incredible? Yeah. Is it incredible? Incredible. So I'll say, and by the way, it's not over. It's not over. Tomorrow's daf, and choose both of the next couple of days. Incredible agarata, incredible halacha. Alright, everyone have a wonderful day.